This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon with you here on Thursday, February 10th. We've got a lot going on here. We actually, this is actually our second podcast in as many days because we have our UCF softball preview that Eric Lopez popped up earlier this week. And this podcast will be covering pretty much everything else. Lots of basketball to talk about as well. And uh, and yeah, a couple things to clean up on the other end for tennis and track and field. But we want to talk. This is going to be our basketball show here uh, for the primary for uh, for the most part. And joining me, actually, this is pretty cool. Joining me from Los Angeles, where he is actually covering the Super Bowl, not for us, obviously, but for but pulling double duty. The student of the game himself, Kyle Nash, is here. What is up? How is the weather in L.A.? How is the Super Bowl? What's going on, man? So first of all, um, I guess this would be night class for me, you know, since I'm out west, right? Um, or early morning class. I don't know. But, yeah, it's um, not, yeah, we're recording this at like noon Eastern, but it's 9 o'clock in the morning out where you are. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and listen, this is the time I have time before availabilities and stuff. Um, and I'll tell you, the, the weather here is just the same as it is at home. So you know, right in that 60 range and people are putting on coats being like, it's cool. I'm like, I feel your pain, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a great feeling out here in Los Angeles. Um, I'm staying pretty close to the LA convention center where media row is. Um, I've been doing a lot of stuff with, uh, with uh, uh, radio row and, and, and things here with, uh, I'll mention the three point conversion because they were kind enough to get me into the Super Bowl, but uh, did get to meet, uh, shake hands with your buddy, Warren Moon there, Jeff. Oh, oh, I thought you would dig that. My dude, Warren Moon, one of my <laughs> heroes growing up. Love the love the old Oilers and the and the run and shoot. We're so far ahead of their time, man. Gosh, that's <laughs> awesome. All right, um, I'm going to ask you to switch gears abruptly to basketball here, uh, mm-hmm. since I know you're busy. But <clears throat> you know, there's first of all, it's been a good week so far for basketball. And I want to start with the women because they were the yeah. ones who most recently played last night against Houston. Um, we're down. Five at the break to uh, to the Cougars, but then came back in the third. In that in that fourth quarter, that defense really took over. UCF get got the W, fifty four to forty four. This is at Houston, and it's a th- that Houston team is tough. Ronald Huey, former UCF assistant, the head coach there. I know I keep waxing poetic about him out here, but like Ronald has that team well coached. But this game was about diamond battles, scoreless in the first half. In the second half, goes off, all right? 19 points, uh, 19 of UCF's 35 points in the second half. Um, I don't know what else you can possibly say about Diamond Battles that hasn't been said, but this is like her, this is really her masterpiece. And uh, um, it led UCF on a 35 to 20 second half. Mm-hmm. Um, her final line, 19 points, seven rebounds, three assists. She had 10 turnovers in the game of UCF. UCF turned the ball over 28 20 times, times yep. compared to Houston's 19. So, I mean, and still won the game by 10, which tells me that, you know, they kind of, they kind of made it close themselves rather than Houston making it close. But, um, you know, they followed up that one of 11 second quarter, um, by shooting, uh, 11 of 17, 
in the second half. So, you know, so it, it, you're not always, you know this, you know, from everything that you've done. Great teams aren't always great. They're just great when they have to be. And this team kind of figured out, like, real quick, like, hey, we got to figure out, we got to figure this thing out. And they figured it out. They found a way. I mean, figuring it out is kind of what they've been doing all season, right? Wasn't it just last podcast where where Elo was lamenting, why can't we start off faster, right? You know, now. Yeah, I'm like, who cares? Let's finish finish faster and then you're fine, you know? <laughs> exactly. And and getting the dub, of course, is always the goal. But, like, uh, listen, it's not like they had an awful start in the first quarter. They're up five um, after that. It's that four-point second quarter I find very interesting. And, Jeff, you mentioned, uh, you know, Diamond doing what she did in the second half. What it, it, earlier in the season, like uh, especially around the time where they lost to Tennessee when they came into town and all that, mm-hmm. they still they, they would have been in bigger trouble then because of the rest of the ladies would be cold as well if Diamond didn't come up. But you got Alicia Lewis, by the way, who apparently at times you know we we've seen the 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 ask of Coach A for her to be more aggressive. She's got double digit points. Masani Kaba doing her part as one of the old heads there. Got 11 points on the game. Mm-hmm. There, that that support to give Diamond uh, Battles uh, the opportunity to kind of warm him up and do what Diamond does to shine like the Diamond we know, so to speak. Oh, come on. Listen, L- L.A. How many joke. times? Okay. there's yeah. It's never old, Jeff. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned the turnovers. We would be remiss if we don't mention the domination on the boards um, yeah. on the night by uh UCF. I believe it will, uh, it's a 10 rebound uh disparity yeah, th- there. 38 38 28 and uh and the free throws, man. Yeah. The free throws were huge uh for UCF. Now, granted Houston got to the line 16 for 16 free throws but only hit 9 of them. If I'm coach, I know I know what I'm having my Houston team do in practice next week. <laughs> but uh UCF with the uh, 13 for 17 uh from the uh, charity stripe, I think that and the rebounds is what helped them recover the four-point quarter. And moreover, I could also probably claim that that was certainly a factor in the uh, 25 point fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's more more impressive is defense is the Houston defense holding them before, uh, or the UCF offense getting 25 in the fourth quarter. That's 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 yeah. something I don't know that I've seen very much of this season. And good on them for pulling it off. Yeah, that was big. So now they're 17 and three, nine and one in the conference and uh having won now let's see five in a row since that loss that that head scratcher loss at Cincinnati um you know because on Saturday they they uh faced Memphis and really gave it to them it dropped 71 points on and beat them by 14 points but um looking at the schedule up ahead see this is the game that I was worried about because the next game on Sunday while you're out in Los Angeles you know rubbing elbows with with football royalty um in tampa two o'clock before the super bowl uh is ucf and usf at the england center on espn2 and that very well could determine um barring anything weird happening the the regular season uh championship for this for this conference and ucf obviously got usf earlier in the year um I, in the irony of ironies, got that really hot start to that game and ended up winning by 16 points. No, but this is in Tampa. Right. And it's a much different thing. UCF has won only once there 
Um, and it was, I think, four years ago when, uh, um, you know, when it, it was kind of Coach Abe's serving notice victory mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. at USF. So, what are they going to have to do here against this uh, against this USF team if they want to get if they mm-hmm. want to get that sweep, which UCF I don't believe has ever done, and really kind of clock the conference together here? Man, I'll tell you, I, I had mentioned the how, how I had asked Coach Abe after that Memphis game on how big this week of of basketball would be for the ladies, and because these three games that we're talking about, with or I shouldn't say three games, three teams we're talking about with UCF um, going to Houston, UCF traveling then to the Yingling Center to take on uh, the Bulls there. That whole thing is the, we're talking about the three top teams in the conference in the situation, right? There's a lot of high power stuff in the American for the ladies doing battle here. Sweeping Houston, huge. Mm-hmm. Coach Abe wouldn't even address sweeping USF yet because yeah. it's like, I'm you don't want to poke that bear. USF, I, I want to focus on Houston and, and that worked. Now, listen, the key to victory in that game always and will be keeping the Bulls perimeter offense quiet because there's, there's going to be battles in the post. You're pardon the pun. I didn't mean diamond. There's going to be battling in the post with these teams. Um, they both got a lot of points in the paint last time against one another. UCF, of course, was victorious. But the key to that was keeping the shooting from beyond the arc down and out of control. You know, there were a lot of shots beyond the arc missed by the Bulls last time. It, and they need to replicate that, right? If you ever notice when UCF loses to the Bulls in the research I've done, it's always a matter of they just get they just get blasted from the perimeter, and when that three point when that three point um, three pointer stat goes against UCF in a strong fashion, it's very tough for this team to combat that. They're just not built necessarily to outscore in a shootout like that. Yeah, South Florida right now. I'm looking at the net rankings. They're 40th at 17 and six. UCF is 36th uh, at 17 and three. So they're basically neck and neck right mm-hmm. now um you get this win if you're UCF and UCF by the way is the top AAC team in the net by you know like I said by that much and then there's a pretty significant gap until you see the 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 third team in fact I'm still scrolling here to actually find there's Tulane at 77 now Tulane is an interesting case because they just dealt USF their second loss of the conference season right so like I said when even just in terms of the raw standings now, Kyle, um, with five games to go before the conference tournament, UCF could be up. If they get the win over South Florida, and fine, I'll speculate if Coach Abe doesn't want to. Um, <laughs> you're you're already one game up at nine and two at not at nine and one compared to South Florida seven and two. Mm-hmm. UCF gets that added game in hand against South Florida and hands them a third conference loss, you're basically three games up on them because you have the tiebreaker. So yeah. that that's that to me is is what's so important. Then then what you're worried about is well what does SMU do? They're at five and two. They've had some games scotch due to COVID and they UCF doesn't even play them again the rest of the year and the, the only game that they, that they had scheduled against them uh, was postponed, set for January 19th, and I don't think they're going to make that up. Right. So, because we haven't heard hide nor hair about that uh, since then. So, um, 
So th- this right now could very well clinch this whole thing for uh, clinch the regular season turner for UCF because after that South Florida game, three of the last four are at home. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I mentioned the point of of Houston first. The 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 next best horse in the race, so to speak, is now officially swept. That's mm-hmm. done, right? And and to your point, if if they can if they can finish the job on Super Bowl Sunday, and Drew uh, Drew Glukov, who will be there covering the game, doesn't continue his streak of being a bad luck charm for UCF basketball teams in the Yingling Center. <laughs> I may just tell him to stay home. I don't know. That has been hinted. Um, <laughs> Watch Macon the game on TV. It's on ESPN too. <laughs> yeah, Megan had said maybe we should do that, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame. Listen, Megan, if you're listening, I am taking that under consideration heavily. <laughs> Believe me. So uh, personally, because Drew Drew is uh, such a good friend of mine, I want to give him a chance to redeem himself, and in the event he doesn't. Well, then I get to make fun of him some more. So there you go. He, well, yeah, and if he doesn't, you can make fun of him. I'll just ban him. I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll prevent him from covering games in Tampa forever. Um, you know, regardless, I, I won't even let, allow him to go to the rowing championships. Um, goodness. Let's see. Uh, so, so that's the situation. February 13th, day before Valentine's Day, 2 p.m. UCF at South Florida at the Yingling Center. That game will be televised on ESPN2. And then the next game for UCF women's basketball is a home game Wednesday, 6 p.m. against uh, Wichita State. They have one remaining road game on it at Temple, February 19th. That's next Saturday. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that that place is a house of horrors for UCF. The, the, the Temple, they I don't know what it is about playing in that place, but UCF has the hardest time playing at Temple. I, I out of sheer curiosity, I just want to look at okay. UCF is one and five wow. women's basketball, one and five all time at McGonagall Hall. Last time they beat Temple in Philly was 2018. So, and that was by seven. So, I mean, and that's the only time they that's the only time they've done it going back to 2014. So, I don't know hey, what it is about that. You mentioned McGonagall Hall. You need some of that Harry Potter magic to help win the day out. There. Get it out there. They lost by three the last time. In twenty uh, last year, they lost by two in twenty twenty. So I mean, what are you going to do? Um, all right, so that flips us over to the men's team, who, you know, Eric Eric Lopez's thing is always like, this is who they are. And well, you got uh, to bring in the good transition point of speaking of winning in places where we haven't won in a while. Well, that's well, well. Here's the <laughs> thing about that is like. UCF men's basketball has had never beaten Wichita State anywhere. You, right. Orlando, Wichita, Dallas, Connecticut, the moon, anywhere <laughs> since since ever. And they finally get the win over Wichita State, 71-66 on, um, on Tuesday night to go to 14-8, and 6-6 six and six in the American. This one was um, the story. Uh, the, to me, the story of this one, uh, Kyle, was the outside shooting. Um and, you know, UCF kind of is in this point where they kind of live by the outside shot. And they die by the outside shot. Well, this, in this particular game, they live by it because they hit 11 of 29 from three-point range, which which functionally matched Wichita because Wichita was 11 of 26 from three-point range. Um, they get, Tyson Etienne, who was, remember, he was two for 13 in that first game right. in Kansas. Um 
made up for that 26.7 rebounds. He was fantastic in that game, hit five threes. But um, the key for UCF um, was, uh, you know, again, four guys in double figures. So you had Mahan at 19 and nine. Great game for him. Mm-hmm. Six of 10 from the floor. Um, Darren Green had 17, including five threes of his own. Uh, and Bacchus Young had 11 and nine boards. And uh, and Darius Perry chipped in with 10 points of his own and three assists. And he crossed the 1,000-point career uh, career threshold. He scored over 500 points for UCF. Obviously, his stats from Louisville carry over. He's not a member of the UCF 1,000-point club, but he is a 1,000-point career college basketball scorer. So congratulations to him. And I, I thought one of the interesting things was that you know UCF was able to do this with a, a, a short, as short a rotation, Kyle, as I have seen them put out there yet. Only nine guys out there um, or, or saw time. Uh, excuse me, eight guys. I'm sorry because I'm I I forgot that team is not a person. Uh, because because math, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> team got two rebounds and three turnovers, but. Um, but yeah, they 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 played with a, a an eight man rotation and got the job done and beat Wichita State for the first time in uh, in school history. Um, is this what is this what we're what you think we're going to see? Like, is Johnny Dawkins kind of settling in here? Because you know, I'm looking at, into what his rotation is because I'm looking at like Isaiah Adams did not play right and and you know I, I I hate to be this guy, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea at this point. Um, you know, and we've we've talked about it. I, I've speculated with uh, our own staff boy Drew off, off air. You know, maybe we uh, we see a situation where uh, Darius Squared is your backcourt more often, mm-hmm. and then Mayhan and Darren Green rotate that three spot. Um, you know, and and CJ CJ Walker still a factor um, in the game down low, and then Jamil Reynolds doing his part down low as well, rotating with the, with them and that being kind of your main core uh, of, of guys coming out. But listen, I, I have to give all the credit in the world to um, to Johnny Dawkins in finding, again, we, remember we talked about last week, Brandon Mahan being put in a situation to kind of advance and, and get back on the streak of games because we, we've noted he's a streaky guy. And when he had the big game against Michigan a few weeks back, right, playing some of the the other air quotes weaker at a conference teams built a little momentum to have the huge game he did against Michigan. Now with the whole situation where they're playing USF and then Memphis, Brandon Mayhan kind of building up and boom, we're led to this 19 point uh, performance. And as you've heard me say before, if UCF gets four double digit guys in the box score, it's usually going to be, for a UCF win. And that's what we got yeah. here. And lastly, I, I talked to somebody from 92.3 uh, Wichita Radio here, rubbing elbows with all the people. Uh, he put it best when this, his opinion was uh, the best thing Wichita State does is shoot free throws. Um, they did not get 40 times to the line in this game. <laughs> Only 12. Yeah. You got to put that into it, Jeff. Yeah, I remember Ricky Council had what, in that first game, off the bench had 31, but he shot something like, 20 free throws in that guy. I think it was like 16 to 20 from the line or something like that. Right. Yeah. It was I amazing. Mean, one guy shooting 20 free throws. Um, but, uh, okay. So, so here's where we have to talk about like where, what's, what's the goal now? Right. I think an at large bid, kiss that goodbye for now. All right. But 
what can what can UCF really control right now with however many games to go uh, I'm pulling up the schedule right now I think it's seven games seven games left in the in the excuse me six games left in the regular season three home three away one of these games is at Houston they're also at Tulane at Tulsa home games against ECU Cincy and Tulsa um, before the American tournament all right so here's the story UCF right now 14 and eight six and six in the league. That puts them in seventh place. Uh, tied in the loss column with Wichita. But Wichita is six, three and six. Um, obviously, Houston, the, the standings go Houston, SMU, Memphis, Cincinnati, Temple, Tulane, UCF. All right. right. Uh, and by the way, this is a UCF team that is 10 and three at home, four and five on the road. Remember, I was talking earlier, like, this is who they are. What they are is a really good home team, mm-hmm. and they struggle on the road. And that's, you know, that's there's a lot of teams in the country that are like that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> even the football team was like that. Too, yeah, right? yeah, right. I mean, undefeated at home this past year. But um, but here's the story: the American Athletic Conference basketball tournament, the mm-hmm. top five teams get a bye from the first round. Okay, so. I think that, you know, the trick is if you want to be able to play yourself in, you have to try and get to that five spot. All right. So now we mentioned the, the six teams ahead of them, Tulane, Temple, Cincy, Memphis, SMU, Houston. They have two games against Tulsa, which are eminently winnable because Tulsa is bad. One in 10 in the conference. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and they've had some COVID issues, right? So. Yes, they have. Of course, you know, playing at Tulsa, you never freaking know with that. Um, uh, let's see. All right, we mentioned Cincinnati. One game left against Cincinnati, who's six and four, sixteen and seven, and that game's at home. You got ECU, eminently winnable, three and eight in the conference. All right, at Houston. Ugh. All right, let's put that one aside for now. You got the game at Tulane. Uh, so. That, to me, that last weekend on the road, that could be really big because you because Tulane and Cincy are the – so that, looking at that, Tulane and Cincy are the only two teams that UCF plays in the remaining part of the schedule that's ahead of them. So if you can hand Tulane that sixth conference loss, you can then bump yourself up one more spot. If you get the game against Cincinnati, you hand them a, you hand them a fifth loss – and I'm looking at their schedule real quick right now to see what they have left. Uh, they're at Houston one more time, okay? And they're at SMU. Um, they have uh, Memphis. They, they also have Memphis and Wichita. Those those are those are home games, but still, those are losable games for them. Yeah. So it is not unplausible or not implausible. 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 We'll go with that. It is not implausible for UCF to be able to sneak into that 4-5 game mm-hmm. and get themselves a bye if they can go in these last six games, to me, 5-1 and one is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree what do you think? Uh, but no, and 5-1 is a great call. And, 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 well, I think I said it last week. The goal is to be – is to be in a position where you can stave off as many sweeps against you as possible. Mm-hmm. Wichita State made that happen to to the greatest extent I think it is is reasonably expectable, right? Right. So now it's about securing sweeps that are still on the board. 
ECU Tulane are both possibilities of that. Tulsa, you have to win them, beat them twice, obviously. That's a very good concept. If, you know, we don't believe that they'll eat, even despite their loss to SMU, by the way, uh, we don't believe um, that they're going to stop Houston from sweeping. That That's a great team. Um, Never know. It's, but we're not, were we betting men? We're not making it happen. Yeah. Um, and I think we've postulated this before. Them pulling off what you're talking about, getting in that four or five game, getting the bye, anything they could do to put themselves in position to be what I think, whoever it is, the sacrificial lamb to Houston at the final of the American Conference Tournament, that's the best case scenario for them. And maybe, just maybe, if enough things break the right way, we could start having that long shot, boy, it would be great if conversation about an at-large. But you know, a high-level NIT is a good expectation still for this UCF uh, crew. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest with you, in a year where you're transitioning away from the guys who were sort of your bridge guys, you know, post-Taco BJ Aubrey, mm-hmm. so the Darius Perry, the Brandon Mahan, like the, Mbake, obviously, we're only getting one year out of him. Um, and bridging, And having those guys bring the younger fellas in under their wing. I, I, Darius Johnson, man, like, right. Wow. Uh, I, you know, he has, I, you know, I, we all had high expectations of him, but I don't think we all ex- quite expected him to start realizing them so soon. Um, yeah, that's a good this, description. you know, th- this dude in 20 minutes a game, you know, he's now shooting wise, not great, but you know what? He's a freshman, you know, 32%. You know, he's only 25% for three-point range, but he's been a very good foul, 80% foul shooter. He's averaging 5.1 a game. He's rebounding really well. He's got 50, uh, or he's got uh, 58 rebounds on the year, 2.6 per game, and 46 assists, which is second on the team behind Darius Perry. That's um, yeah, 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 yeah. I was about to take you there because, you know, just this past game, he didn't shoot great at all from the field in general. Forget three. Right. But the, the very unique thing about any point guard is you can compensate for that by dishing the ball. He, he, the number of points he missed was fewer than the ones he made up in assists. So at the end mm-hmm. of the game, still a positive force offensively. And we're not even talking about what he can do in perimeter defense as well. Yeah. Now, in conference play only, his numbers have gone up, and he's averaging eight points a game in conference play. Now, what I, what I like about it is that even though his shooting percentage isn't high – I like the fact that he's unafraid to shoot. Like most freshmen that you see, and you know this, most guys who are, you know, at that point in their careers, true freshmen trying to figure things out, but are really talented, are so worried about like doing the right thing that they second guess themselves constantly, right? Totally natural reaction to have. Like, but, and I think that he was doing that a little earlier in the year. Like, he was kind of afraid to shoot because he wasn't sure if that was the right thing to do. But Coach Dawkins has kind of given him the green light of, if you're open, shoot the ball. Yes. Because, and that's a good thing to me that I see because he, you have to keep the defense honest when you're a point guard. You have to give them the threat of the outside shot if you're going to try it, if you're going to enable them to, you know, if you're going to allow them to just, or, or rather, if you're going to entice them to guard you tight, and then you can blow by, right? right. And that's something that that he can do. I, I like his. I think when all said and done, his UCF career is going to be, 
you know, he, he, to me, he's like, uh, I mean, the similarities between him and BJ Taylor are like really frightening. Like they're both <laughs> built like BJ Taylor is bit, is a bit built right. and stout they're, for a, a point guard. That's a good call. Yeah. Well, I mean, BJ and BJ really put on weight, like upper body weight, like his last couple years, he was built like a, he was built like a running back, like the last, the last couple. And why? Because his, because his best, op- he got his best opportunities by going to the hole. And I think Darius has, you know, his lower body is really is really strong, and we see that in his defense. He's been so good at that. I think that, and also, I'm not saying his upper body isn't strong, but like once he gets like a really good, yeah, he's a pretty dude. He's 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 built really he's built really strong. Once he gets like another year of like a college weight program underneath his belt, oh my god, like that guy, like you're like we're gonna have to keep Gus away from him. You know, (laughs) listen, two sport athletes, baby. (laughs) <laughs> uh, because I, because I, if I was guys, I'd be like, you know, we could use somebody with that kind of physical presence. Oh, I like running backs, and I like yeah, who could I, run the football, and I think he could run the football. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, if I'm Johnny, I'm like, keep him away from you know, you stay over there. But um, I'm working on my Johnny impression. I'll get you one later yeah, in the season. <laughs> but uh, I'm really encouraged by that. I, I, I just, you know, it's, you know, I, there are. There are some th- uh, we saw Jamil Reynolds get a little bit more playing time, and I think Johnny's kind of selling in with a sort of three-headed monster between him, Mbake, and uh, and CJ. You mm-hmm. know, he will play two of those three at any particular time, which I think is is good. Very similar to what Coach Abe does, by the way. Oh, absolutely. With Destiny Thomas and Masni Kaba and, and Brittany. So I, th- I think he's like kind of taking a page from Coach Abe on that. Oh, sure. Uh, what a luxury to be able to do that. Listen, not oh, that yeah. you know, Reynolds plays a lot of minutes, but when he's on the floor, I've seen I basically more often than not, I've seen him make some sort of a difference making play, whether mm-hmm. it's drawing a technical uh, like he did yeah. in, in, in um, against Michigan. You know, and, and I think that was really the moment where that, that that team was mentally anguished like that put the final uh, mental uh, nail in the coffin for them. They started mm-hmm. to believe they were in real trouble when. Jamil made that happen. It's not on the stat sheet, but that was a real big psychological yeah. piece. And that's the little place like that he does, taking the offensive foul. One, he got one of the uh, blocks uh, in uh, the Wichita State game where mm-hmm. Bakke and Walker rarely uh, went without any. It's yeah. He's such a great difference maker, and I'm looking forward to see him get a bit more disciplined in his play um, as he moves on in his career. Yeah, I, I I think the one thing that I really enjoy uh, enjoy about him is that you know it depends on what Coach Dawkins needs. If he needs, uh, you know, if he needs defense, he puts Mbake out there. But if he needs offense, you know, like a little spark down low on offense, he puts Jamil out there. And Jamil's big too. He can play defense. He's big, but it, yeah, he does, and he does. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But right. like, but the the thing that I love about Jamil in particular is he's so refined offensively. His footwork mm-hmm. is really good. And here's the other thing mm-hmm. I like about it, especially for, especially when we talk about big men. You know, big men aren't traditionally aren't very good foul shooters. Jamil's a, a 76 percent foul shooter, 16 That's to 21 on the year. So he get so he gets to the line. He shoots 47 percent from the field. He's really good at getting. He has such long arms, and he's really good at getting his shots. So I, you know, I think that I would love to see a little bit more of, you know, God willing, Isaiah Adams. You know, kind of, you know, kind of figures out what he what he's trying to figure out. But I would love to see, just out of curiosity, like what would a lineup with Darius Johnson. Uh, Ty Freeman, Isaiah Adams, Jamil Reynolds, and and C.J. Walker look like like you know like those younger guys 
that's a pretty talented little core for the next few years going forward, right? I mean, yeah, listen, in the front court, that's a good place to start with Walker and Reynolds working together. We've already mm-hmm. seen it look good, and it's it's a great thing all the way around. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that'll do it for our, uh, the men's team, at least as for right now. Their next game coming up, like we said, Tulsa, Valentine's Day. That's a makeup game, by the way. That'll be on ESPN Plus uh, on uh, at 7 p.m. on Monday, Valentine's Day. Um all the restaurants are going to be swamped, so just come to the game, okay? Have a, tell, tell tell the significant other that, like, the reservation's done. Let's go to the game, hang out together there, and then we'll go out on, like, Wednesday or Friday or something, right? I mean, um, you can always take off on Monday and make it a lunch I, yeah. and then go to the game, you know? But, yeah, I well, it's funny. Like, I told my I told my wife because, like, that game got scheduled later on, and I'm like – and I told her, I was like, babe, they scheduled a game for Valentine's Day. She's like, go. Like, we're not going to be able to get into any restaurants anyway, and it's going to be freaking packed, and I don't want to deal with it. That's beautiful. I'm like, God, am I lucky? Did I freaking hit the jackpot with that woman? Unbelievable! What a hey, listen. Uh, you want to talk about hitting the jackpot? I'm gonna be uh, in LA for my anniversary and on a plane back for Valentine's Day. Okay. Oh wow. So there you go. Wow, man. Okay. All right. Okay. It's yeah. I can't. Yeah. All right. Oh, it's not a competition. I'm just saying. It's we're not both lucky. We're, we're both, both very lucky. lucky. We're That's both right. Lucky. Uh, and uh, yeah, ESPN Plus on it, and then uh, obviously the game at Houston Thursday at the Fertitta Center. Uh, TV is to be determined for that game, which is kind of surprising. I, I don't, I think they're, but I'm, I see like a double start time, nine and ten p.m. So I think they're trying, they're just waiting and seeing on that one. But anyway, um, but we will be following that game uh, or both of those games as uh, as, as they come through. Uh, where? Uh, all right, so you're. Last but not least, LA Super Bowl. What's your what's your plan? If we follow the SOTG on Twitter, you're going to be sharing you rubbing elbows with which football royalty over the next few days? Well, actually, uh, you know, uh, over the over the uh, past, uh, today and yesterday stuff, uh, you'll see the likes of D'Angelo Hall, Maurice Jones-Drew, mm-hmm. uh, James Jones, and of course, Coach Steve Mariucci. Uh, all, all passing through the timeline there. So look out for those, of course, on the SOTG and on Instagram as well at the SOTG or on Facebook as the student of the game. So, you know, some of that elbow. I'm not sure. You never know around here because they're just walking around. It, it, it's it's one of those things. Where, hey, uh, there's, there's uh, you know, uh, Boomer Esiason. Come on over. The three-point got in with Tyler Lockett. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I missed that. But then I saw what time it was. It was like, oh, I was talking to Mojo. So it worked <laughs> out, you know. <laughs> Listen, any any Giants guys come in, you got you to gotta keep me informed here. Uh, okay. I will. I will send you the picture directly. Listen, past or present? Yeah. Oh, obviously. You know, yeah. you're, you're one of those misguided souls that follows the Giants <laughs> like that. <laughs> hey, says listen, the Niner fan. I'm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so the Niner fan. I'm. In, I. I am very much enjoying our general, our front office and coaching hires right now. I will say. So actually, what I can send you is Booch did talk a bit about Daniel Jones and and what that looks like. Um, I'll throw that up on there as well, so you could observe that as well, there, Jeff. Oh, will I be happy? I don't know. That's not the answer I want. No, I don't know. Not... You won't be unhappy. Well, the, well, the answer is like, can Brian Dable fix Daniel Jones? Anyway, um, uh, that's that's not the question I asked. No, yeah, because uh, <laughs> that's the question I'm asking right now. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, you have Super Bowl stuff to get to. Kyle Nash, the student of the game. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And uh, yeah, man, enjoy hey. the Super Bowl. 
Are you are you going to be in SoFi Stadium for the game? Not for the game, no, just for the weekend. Oh. But um, hey, I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. What am I worried about? Well, where are you going to be? I don't know that yet. I got a couple options on the table. Like Bill Simmons's house? Like, like what? You know? I mean, I was talking to Lee Steinberg a little bit about that. You know? Oh. Lee Stein, so you're going to go to Lee Steinberg's house. Okay. At the very least, the party. We'll see. Ah, okay. All right. All right. All right. How many of us are in the market for an agent? Anyway, uh, let him know. All right, Kyle, thanks again, brother. It's good to see you. Enjoy LA. Enjoy the Super Bowl. What a blast. I've never covered the Super Bowl. You've covered how many now? Uh, well, this is my first Super Bowl. So. Oh, this is your first? I thought you'd done there before. I, I was at the Fiesta Bowl, uh, not the Super Bowl, but uh, ironically oh. enough, in Arizona next year. So hey, I could I could make a return. Stranger things have happened. Dude, enjoy the Super Bowl, man. Let me know what it, you got to you got to tell me. What's like. I I hope that they're that they're at least somebody gets you into that stadium because I want to you know, like it, it it should be fun. It should be a fun time. I think it'll be a good game. I do too, and that's I mean, listen. Regardless of where I watch it, I think it'll be a pretty a uh, pretty good matchup to watch. Um, and you know what's what's I, the no. oh, okay I can't, I can't i can't let you out with that i know i know i keep like i, I know i keep doing this <laughs> i can't let you out of here without tell us tell us like what what's the feeling out there are people like ram are people like lopez being like oh the rams are gonna blow him out or is you know joey burrow like i don't know see like, that's the thing it, because the burrow factor and the confidence of Bengals of the Bengals squad is what it is they're very tentatively favoring star-studded rams um and it's not a bad play you know the, the conversation i had with the angelo hall was the piece that um we talk about all the weapons that are on the rams offense the rams defense similarly has a bunch of different pieces and i think that's mm -hmm. the part that's very interesting everyone who i've asked uh says that a defensive mvp is a very strong possibility in this game even wide receiver james jones i say that because this is an offensive mind and he's his words where it's set up for Aaron Donald to be a defensive MVP, right? Or so someone from the Bengals. Let's not let's not let's not correct. rule out what they did to Patrick Mahomes in the vaunted Kansas City Chiefs offense in that AFC correct. championship. Game. I mean, listen, the, with the with the Bengals, the part that you're 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 getting that no one's really talking enough about, in my opinion, is that so many of the Bengals starters this year weren't even on the roster last year. That's mm -hmm. not supposed to work. So yeah. Um, but I say all that to say because of all the, the, the spunk, for lack of a better word, um, that the, the Bengals uh, contain confidence, whatever you want to call it, they're a, it's kind of a missing link, an intangible. But mm -hmm. my official prediction I'm on record with is 31-18 Rams. Mm. All right. All right. MVP. Who you got? Uh, I would love to see Aaron Donald. But um, – it's probably going to be Stafford because quarterback. However, look out for Cooper Cup as an MVP yeah. possibility if he goes off. Yeah, if he if he catches like eleven balls for one hundred and seventy one yards and two touchdowns, like yeah, that'll <laughs> exactly you know uh, as he seems to do quite often. I mean, Stafford's like, you know, <laughs> where's Cooper Cup? Let me throw it in his direction, and something good will happen. All right, it, student well, of the game. Yeah, if Aaron Donald gets three sacks or more, look out for that too. That's that's true too. Yeah, especially yeah. if they come up big. All right, Kyle, enjoy the Super Bowl, man. Have fun in LA. Hey, even from LA, an honor, joy, and privilege. But until next time, class dismissed. And we will be right back on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Don't go away. 
All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon here with you, along with Bryson Turner, as we uh, take a look at some of the other news. Of course, um, Eric is not here because he's covering softball. It's opening night. Tonight. We're recording this on Thursday. Opening night for UCF softball tonight. They're playing number 12 Georgia at the UCF softball complex. He's doing that game. You can get his full preview of UCF softball from beginning to end uh, also in our podcast feed this week. He interviewed Cindy Ball Malone. He interviewed Denali Schapacher. He interviewed uh, Gianna Mancha. We have UCF softball covered like nobody else. So make sure you take a look at that. All right, Bryson, busy week for you this week because not only were you covering uh, basketball as well, helping us out with that, and truly appreciate that, but you also keep no your problem. eye uh, I'm glad. I'm glad I was able to hold down the fort for Kyle. Yeah, well, he's in the sewer. Yeah, it was a good uh, game too. It was a good we, game. We've got basketball, or, or in addition to basketball, we had uh, plenty of tennis as the tennis season continues. Um, men's tennis right now, one in five. Uh, they uh, or, or they, they lost on uh, Sunday at NC State. And they're kind of struggling right now, uh, Bryson. They haven't won a, a none of the. They haven't won a single match within the dual match season since January thirtieth. Since the Louisville match, they got swept by Stanford, swept by Wake, swept by Wake Forest. I know, or, or uh, swept by NC State. I know those are three ranked teams, but you know, it, it's is everything all right over there? Well, this team started out ranked number 11 in the country. And I think that considering their performance against ranked teams so far, it looks like that was a vast overrate overratedness of that, of that starting rank there. That said, uh, Leighton Cronhey and Bogdan Pavel did make the new doubles ranking. They're ranked number 41 in the country. So there's some chemistry going on there. And Trey Hildebrand and Cooper White, who are a brand new pair, Cooper White's a freshman, they took down then number nine, then number 19 ranked Wake Forest pair, Jacob Schneidner and Sinhim Banthia. So it seemed, and so I break this down a bit in my ten, in my more in-depth tennis breakdown, but the gist of this is, is that this team has a lot of faces in new places. When it comes to tennis, Trey Hildebrand is facing a level of opponent that he didn't really face last season. So he's got to get used to that. He's ranked number, he was ranked number 16 going into the fall. He's number 50 now. Uh, And with the doubles pairs, they're trying some new stuff, just like the women's team are. And with and with um the court three pairing, which usually has Alan Rubio and Kento Yamada, who are two the two seniors on the team, uh, they they haven't really had a good start. That means that with their experimentation with the top of the order with Lincoln Cronhan and Bach and Bevel doing a new pairing and Trey Hildebrand and Cooper White, and with that and they're the, them trying to kind of find themselves, it means that it's going to be a coin toss. I mean, I think that the fact that Hildebrand and Cooper White beat a ranked team like they did shows promise there. The problem is that they j- is that they just need to be able to Cronhain Pavel and Hildebrand and White need to be able to get on point at the same time unless Rubio Nemata can improve. So I think this is just a, te- a team that we need some development time with. And the good news is, is that the core pieces like Hildebrand, Pavel, Cronhain, all that, they still have another year of eligibility to go. So I think this is a, this is kind of like football where we kind of need to be, be a little more patient with them and we'll see how it goes. Besides, Roddick's teams have known to have some slow starts. This is a bit of a slower start than past years, but we'll see what they do if they're able to um, as we go through the as we go through the rest of the season, which still has some tough competition. So if anything, they're going to be improving their game and honing their craft against some of the top tennis teams in the country. 
Well, it doesn't get any easier this weekend. They're traveling to Florida State on Friday, uh, and then they've got then they're going to number fourteen Texas on Sunday. So that Florida State game, in my opinion, is the make or break because if you. I can understand maybe you you losing to ranked teams because you're kind of finding yourself. But when you're losing to teams, like they beat Louisville, for example, who was unranked. So I think the standard is if they're not ranked, then you better beat them. And th- well, they, they uh, after that Texas match, yeah, I think uh, you're you, you're right about this weekend that the, you know this is kind of like okay, where are we gonna where are they going to see themselves after that? Because after Texas, they have a 12 day break before they play at Ohio State in Columbus. So at the very least, you know, you will have been through the first six, eight matches. And, you know, now at least you, you, you hopefully you have enough data, right, to be able to figure out where you want to go from there. So we'll be keeping an eye on them. Women's tennis, on the other hand, they're three and two right now. Um, they got a sweep over Georgia Southern. After they had, that, after they had those uh, back-to-back losses to Auburn and Virginia, again, two ranked teams, Got the win against Georgia Southern at home uh, last Sunday. They travel uh, to LSU a week from Friday, February 18th. So they have a they have a pretty tough stretch there where they go at LSU, at Miami, at FIU before they're back home February 25th against um, Oklahoma. So less concern in that neck of the woods, right? Yeah, I would say so. For one, um, there's they haven't lost one against the ranked team either. But I do think that the the hardest parts of this women's team schedule comes a little bit later in the se- in the season. At the very least, the they're in a more stable position doubles wise because even with the new the new uh, pairings that they've been using, for example, uh, Noel Saidanova, she went four and zero in her singles and doubles matches this 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 weekend, including two doubles matches with different doubles partners with Nandini Sharma and with Nandini with Danny, with Nandini Sharma and Nigel Bay Christians. And um, Sophia Biole also got paired with a new doubles partner and sophomore to Lisa Leslie. Like we, we've talked about this back when we t- spoke to women's ten- tennis head coach Brian Kenyako, that that this team is cut because of the late arrival of B- of freshman Biole and Sinanova, that they were going to have to experiment a little bit with the doubles pairs to see what what worked and what didn't. And the good news is, is that those experiments are working. This is a really good problem for, for Kanyeko to have where it looks like um, that some success can be attained no matter who they, they pair up with, which is good to see. The concerns that I find are in the singles play. And maybe it's a little bit of a, and maybe it's just a bit of a slow start, but um, if, if Genia Levashova and Valeria Saleva got their first uh, got their first singles wins of the season over the weekend. Bit of a slow start for them. Uh, they both um, all of them dropped in the in, in in the singles rankings, along with Marie Mattel. I uh, Marie Mattel off the top of my head, I cannot remember because it's all three of them. But they dropped. They did drop from where they started in the beginning of the season. So it's a bit of a slow start, but. They're still ranked number 18. Um, it, it, they didn't, there was no new ranking. So they're still ranked number 18 in the country. And I think that this, it's just, it's another one of those things where the sample size is a little small and we still kind of need to get to give them some time to see where, where they kind of are right now. The good news is, is that the Kenyako talked about how they valued their doubles and a, a doubles play. And it looks like their doubles play is going very well. And I think that that's a good, that's certainly some good progress to see from this team. All right. How about women's golf right now? So they they uh, finished up their first. You know, we we talked about uh, with Emily Marin before. They finished their first 
tournament of the spring at home. A little bit of weather problems that kind of got in the way over the weekend, but uh, they finished up the UCF Challenge in 11th place. Probably not the ideal finish, but uh, a couple of uh, bright spots, uh, or one particular bright spot was uh, was Pat Pitten, who uh, finished tied for fourth in the individual. Wake Forest won the team competition, and Carolina Lopez Chakara of uh, of Wake won the was the individual medalist. She was the only per- she was the only golfer to shoot under 200. Um, in the three-round tournament, but um, uh, uh, Pitten, I think you were, you were telling me. I remember earlier she suffered an injury in the fall that was a but, little bit concerning, but she seems to have returned to form just fine. It seems so. She um, she withdrew from the final fall tournament. I believe it was due to injury, if I'm if I remember incorrectly. And it, yeah, it looks like she's doing well. And I'm telling you what, I I look when I looked at the women's go- the individual women's golf rankings, I saw the Camille Man Benzet was the highest ranked UCF singles player and no disrespect to her. I think she is a very good player, but when you look at the, at the body of work from the fall and now this, I really think Tenrata Pitten is the golfer to watch on this team. She just shot 207. That's the fourth lowest 54 hole score in program history. And that's not even the only top five 54 hole score Pitten has. She shot 200 back in the fall in the EV owning invitational, which is the lowest 54 hole score in program in program history. So Tenrata Pitten, I think as far as an individual goes, is a really big bright spot for this team and then also i also want to be able to highlight zoe allo who who is a freshman by the way she ended up also shooting under par at 214 she's tied for 40th but shooting under par is usually a good sign when it comes to a golfer's development especially when it comes to being a freshman so i'm very excited to see what zoe allo is capable of um Victoria Levi also made her night's debut. She ended up she ended up playing as an individual, didn't really have a good weekend, but it's nice to see her make her debut and kind of begin her development. And I think the biggest team, the biggest thing for this team is that they need to be able to get on the same page because with golf, you're only as good as maybe your, your second weakest player because in, t- in golf team play, your, your, your fifth player's score does not count. So you're only about as good as your, as your second um, highest scoring player because golf lower score wins. So you basically it's all about the rest of the team kind of being able to make up ground because Pitten can't carry this team on her own. And Aloe, she's still developing. We what developing? We can't expect you know a freshman to, a, a freshman to you know have to carry anything. Like let her you know learn. Let her de- let her develop. And it's great to see that she's developing well here from by the looks of it. But we can't expect her. To do this every to do this every time. So going going aboard, I'm very excited to see what Pitten does from an individual standpoint. But from a team standpoint, it, it's the players like Banzette and Collado and Baker and and Lama, whoever whoever Emily Marin decides to put in the lineup, they need to be able to kind of keep up with Pitten so that way the, their team score their team score will be able to get up there with some of the best of them. You know, I thought it was interesting about Zoe. Uh, final round. Uh, you know, she she kind of went through an even par um, in uh, or, or let me look through it. Yeah, yeah, she 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 went out in even par. She was uh, in her back nine to finish the tournament. Um, yeah, after she had a, a rough front nine in the final round, she finished with three birdies in the back nine. And I think you're right. That's the kind of you know development that you want to see. Like finish. It, it, it's kind of like in basketball where you know when you're warming up, like you don't. And not a miss. You always want to make your last shot in warmups, and I think that was the case with 
with Zoe is she, you know, she finished strong and that that can always push you forward towards the next one. Track and field. All right. Uh, UCF competed at the Charlie Thomas Invitational, um, which uh, another indoor event that they had that they're in, in, in College Station, uh, home of Texas A&M. And uh, really, there were two big time performances. The first one on day one was Brittany Floyd who finished in fourth in the pentathlon, but the, the, that really wasn't the story. The story was she set a, a new school record uh, in the pentathlon. Um, the broke her own, broke her own record. Yeah, broke her Two own weeks record. later, and she did it again. Yeah, th- uh, 3,865 points in the pentathlon. So that was, that was pretty, that's pretty encouraging, especially as, as they move forward, that she's improving. And then also, obviously, Renia Jones, who is who is named the uh, AAC's Track Athlete of the Week. Surprise, surprise. Finished uh, first in the 60 meters with a 7.23. Uh, personal best again. Another personal best. One-tenth of a second faster than her prelims. Um, Renia is just Renia, man. She's a star. She's just going to keep getting better. Well, what's big is, is that, and I mentioned this, she's one, um, I'll do a, t- a teeny spoiler. She's one of two nights of the week that I put in my nightcap article, but she actually did not make the final in the 60 meter hurdle, which you know, as we've seen before, you know, her big thing was the 100 meter hurdles where she competed at NCAA championships in the Olympic trials. So to see her in the 60 meter hurdle, not making the final, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if that um, did coach Dana Boone tweeted ha- about how it was about how she was able to rebound and rebound and readjust. And I would agree with that here. The fact that she lo- missed the final in the 60 meter hurdle and then go out and win the 60 meter dash. What just perfect, perfect job on her part and a nice recovery on her part as well. And then um, she was also joined on the podium by Asia Wilson, who finished third in the 60 meter dash. And don't worry about the 60 meter hurdle because Kayla Harris was able to capture the bronze there. So, yeah, I, I, I love watching. I, I, if you can't tell by now, I love watching this team. And this even and, and Renia Jones may be the headliner. But don't 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 be mistaken into thinking that she's the only uh, the only encouraging sign on this team because this uh, because this team has a lot of facets to it that is, are very intriguing to watch and you can look uh, you can you I, I linked the full results the, uh, of every event in my nightcap article so you can see for yourself because even for us there's just so much that we can't really fit it all into one thing so if you want to check out the results for yourself there the links are there. But as but but when it comes down to it, the the headline even the top of this team that are there's plenty to talk about there. Renaya Jones being chief among them. Uh, the other thing I wanted to uh, talk can't get out of here without talking a little bit about volleyball. You know, we had the the uh, spring um, national signing day, which is kind of a you know because of football, like it's kind of it kind of flies under the radar now because of the early signing period. But a lot of other sports uh, signing, including volleyball. And uh, three new signees for UCF, one of which we already talked about, which is Emily Wilson, the uh, transfer from San Diego, um, the 6'3 outside hitter. Uh, but two more that UCF added uh, that we wanted to talk about. Uh, Emma, Emma Trulick, who uh, is a, a freshman, uh, she's an outside hitter and defensive specialist from uh, Forest High School in Ocala. She comes in um, a three-time team MVP, 
And uh, Coach Dagenet said, you know, you, you look at her height and say, this is his quote, she's five foot eight. So, you know, you look at her height and you, and say, well, this is what Todd Dagenet says. Well, there's no way she can play power five in the front row. But I think a coach looking at her that way would make a mistake because she's such an effective back row attacker and scores points. She plays an unnamed position in volleyball. So it's kind of interesting that she's kind of a, a really versatile defensive specialist, you know, who can, you know, if she's not wearing a libero jersey, like can actually attack from the back row, like Todd was saying. And then also, I thought the one I was really excited about was uh, Abby Hansen, a middle blocker from Phoenix, Arizona, who comes to UCF from uh, the University of Oregon. Uh, she spent three years at Oregon. She's six foot four um, and uh, and was a, a real key. She was the uh, Oregon Invitational All-Tournament Team member, um, uh, was a Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week one week. You know, <laughs> it's it's a really good sign for UCF as as volleyball heads into the Big 12, of course, with everybody else, that, you know, now they're being seen as a destination for players, you know, who may, who, who just couldn't get into a rotation on a Pac-12 school. Like, I never would have thought that you'd ever see, you know, Pac-12, uh, you know, Pac-12 level athletes coming to UCF, but here we are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would say I would think so. And also, this is also now the second middle blocker on the team that arrived to UCF because of transfer. Claudia Dillon transferred here from mm-hmm. transferred here from Missouri a little yep. bit ago. SEC and, and I think too. This is a, right. So this is a good addition because the, because the Knights are actually pretty old when it comes to middle block middle blocker. That Narissa Moravic is go, is is gone. Catherine Wesselich transferred. Amari Williams was injured last year, but she's a fifth, but she, uh, she's a fifth, she was a fifth year senior. So we'll see what happens with her. But um, the, the, so the, really the only fit middle blocker that we know that we really can nail down is Claudia Dillon. And so pairing her up with Abby Hansen, I think in the middle, in the middle block, in a middle blocker position is definitely good to have. It's a great way, good way to fill that hole. And then as far as Emily Wilson, I think this is one of the, th- that we can see that Dagenet is definitely preparing for the McKenna Melville secession plan because McKenna Melville's entering her final year of eligibility. As much as we all love to hate it, she has to go sometime. She has to, she'll have to run out of eligibility sometime. And, but the good news is that Dagenet has some p- people there. And if we know anything about Melville, she's a great mentor and coaching figure. And so whether, whether it's Heidi Bondi, who we are, who's already here, or whether it's Emily Wilson who's coming in, I I do think that the that the team is definitely um, knowledgeable of the fact that the, that there is going to be life after McKenna when it comes to that position, and that bringing them in, bringing Wilson in now will allow Melville to be able to kind of mentor her a little bit, so that way, truly, whoever is more worthy of of starting more of of starting, whether it is Wilson or Bondi, or they get switched in every now and again, both teams will have the bet have be the most, both players will be the most prepared possible to do that. Boy, this is, this is shaping up to be a really good, if you could imagine the four time defending conference champion, UCF volleyball nights, improving, 
<laughs> getting oh, actually man. getting better. Well, well, uh, they, they, well we got just did <laughs> losing losing Marissa Moravic and Amory Watson is no is definitely no slouch. I would argue. So I think that I would argue it's more of a reloading, if anything. But that's still, I mean, what do you? I mean, some of the best champs they don't with the best teams they don't rebuild. They reload. And that's mm-hmm. what you see and UCF has done. You talk about how Abby Hansen's transferring here from the Pac-12. And I think that that can kind of speak to the fact that, you know, I think I remember talking to uh, like um to assistant coach Jenny, uh, assistant head coach Jenny Maurer about it. And she talked about how how when she was brought on with De- Coach Dagenet, she was talking about how she um about they wanted to build a volleyball power here. And I think trans- well, they're on their way. Yeah, they are on their way to doing that. <laughs> You know, it, it would not surprise me. It would not surprise me if you saw this team compete in volleyball immediately in the Big Twelve once once it gets to that point. I there's kind of we there's kind of this ongoing discussion like and thought about like like who's going to be the first UCF team to win a Big Twelve championship. My money's on volleyball, especially if. If UCF enters that league, if there's no crossover between Texas and UCF, I, th- I think if Texas stays in the league the first year UCF's in there, there's you know Texas is going to be the obvious favorite. But and nothing against UCF; it could have a very good year and just not. And, and Texas is just that good. But I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised in the least if UCF volleyball is the first UCF team to win a Big Twelve title. Uh, yeah, I think that would be a solid thing. If there's no crossover between Texas and UCF, I'd, I'd also will be willing to keep an eye on track and field for some individual stuff because Texas obviously is a great track and field program with people like Chan- Chanel Percent. And, and Houston, too, so, don't forget, too. They're coming in there, too. That's going to be – boy, Houston is going to be loaded in track and field when they get to the Big 12. Oh, my God. Oh, All right. It was great uh, for men's basketball, but I but men's basketball for a spell. But I'm telling you what, it, sometimes it's these Olympic sports that are where it's at sometimes. I know this is this is what I've been telling you all these all this time. It's like that's where the you know this is where you can find some really fun stuff and and I uh, and you know now with softball starting up in the spring, baseball's coming around. You're gonna have a baseball preview this week. Um, Eric's got the softball preview up. This is gonna be fun. Uh, we got a lot coming up over the next uh, over the next few weeks, next few days too. Of course, uh, softball opener Thursday against Georgia. They also play Minnesota on Friday uh, as well to start the uh, to start the season. Uh, let's see, uh, just, you know, looking up at the, looking up through the schedule, uh, you know, obviously we talked about men's tennis and whatnot. Um, but you know, this is going to be a busy weekend. Uh, of course, Fresno state track and field. field. Yep. Track and field returning to Clemson. This is going to be, I believe their final meet before the American championship. So this is their last chance to really hone themselves before it's on with the American Mm -hmm. indoor championships. So that looking forward to that. And then, of course, don't forget uh, women's basketball at South Florida on Super Bowl Sunday at 2 p.m. Men's tennis at number 14, Texas, 1 p.m. on Sunday. Men's basketball against Tulsa at home, 7 p.m. on Valentine's Day. That's a makeup game, ESPN+. Bryson Turner. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter. Thanks for helping us out. Thanks, as always, for your hard work. And uh, hang in there. I guess we'll see. What's the next event that you're going to be heading to? Uh, I am actually planning to go to softball to assist with it with Eric Lopez on that. So I wanted to get myself. You going there. tonight? Yes, I am. All I'm right. Gonna, I'm planning on doing that. So I'll be there. Join. I'll be there joining Eric. I'll follow uh, while he's in the broadcast booth. I'll be 
I'll, I'll be following on Twitter. So, um, so it's Bryson Turner. It'll be up. The, it'll be up there, and uh, it'll be it'll be fun. George is a team that's that's kind of uh, in the family. My uncle is a, it goes there, and my dad is a big Georgia fan. So excited to see the, the to see a team that I've grown up with and my and my current school that I attend face off there. So that well, here's well here's to their disappointment. They already won <laughs> football. That's enough. Uh, all right. Thanks, Bryson. <laughs> Very you true. can follow Bryson at It's Bryson Turner. Thanks again to Kyle Nash. A short show because you have the softball preview um, that also took up, uh, that also is in your feed right now. Make sure you follow Kyle Nash uh, as well. Uh, you can follow Kyle at the SOTG for the student of the game, the SOTG. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And for where, you know, he, obviously he's locked in on softball now. So, um, it's going to be, uh, so it's going to, the season begin, um, make sure you check out that preview. Lots of great insight from coach ball Malone, Denali Schopacher and, uh, Gianna Mancha as well. You can follow us collectively at UCF banner at underscore SBN, UCF banner at underscore SBN. Also follow, uh, uh follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash black and gold banner. And of course, black and gold banner your home for UCF sports on the SB nation network that'll do it for us make sure you subscribe to our podcast as well uh wherever you get your podcast apple podcast uh or if you're an android user wherever you get your podcast there as well for all of us here at black and gold banner i'm jeff sharon saying thank you for listening this has been the black and gold banner podcast enjoy the weekend happy super bowl sunday everybody 